Well, from the various liturgies surrounding Christmas that's soon to come, I will be speaking about the incarnation of our Lord. But in preparation for those homilies, I'd like to speak today about his mother, Mary, and her unique role in the incarnation. And I, as, as her servant, invoke her now and ask her to obtain for me the grace that I need to speak correctly and to speak well about her. Foreseeing that sin would come into the world, God from all eternity determined to save mankind by making satisfaction for sin. For full satisfaction to be made though, only God himself could do that. And God himself would need to suffer. But, and this is a conundrum here, God in his divine nature, he can't suffer. So from all eternity, in the mind of God, there was, as it were, a dilemma. What was God to do? Well, this is where Mary comes in. Mary was the solution to God's dilemma. On the one hand, God needed to suffer. This is one horn of the dilemma. But on the other hand, the other horn, God could not suffer. But in between those two horns appeared from eternity the person of the mother of God. She was the solution to that problem, to that dilemma. God would take from Mary a fully human nature and take it up into his divine person, uniting it with his divine nature, and thus be enabled to suffer for the sins of mankind. So just as from all eternity God foresaw the entrance of sin into the world and decreed that he would become man to suffer for sin, so also from all eternity he chose Mary as that one unique vessel, that one unique instrument that he would use to become a man. God's eternal decrees concerning Mary can be seen in the Old Testament. She is prophesied there. In the third chapter of Genesis, we read about the woman whose seed will strike the head of the serpents. So from the beginning, immediately after the first sin, Mary is revealed to us. In the prophet Micah, 700 years before the birth of Mary, before the birth of Jesus, Mary is spoken about as her who will bring forth in Bethlehem the Messiah. Again, 700 years before the birth of Mary, before the birth of Jesus, we read in the prophet Isaiah, in chapter 7, that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a child who will be called Emmanuel, 
God with us. But if Mary is from all eternity the chosen vessel or instrument that God would use to bring about the incarnation, she was no inert or passive instrument. God used Mary to effect the incarnation, but he did so according to her own nature, that is, according to her human nature, which is, by definition, rational and free. Therefore, Mary, as an instrument, would freely cooperate with the Incarnation. She would freely consent to God's plan. And in our Gospel today, we hear her say to Gabriel, May it be done to me according to your word. Now this phrase, translated into English as, May it be done, is in Latin, fiat. And so this is where we get our tradition of speaking about Mary's fiat to God's plan of salvation. This fiat that Mary gave brought about the Incarnation. On this fiat hung the redemption of all mankind. Through her fiat, Mary became the cause of our salvation. This exalted role of Mary in the work of redemption does not take away from the uniqueness of Jesus' role. Jesus alone is the divine person whose sufferings could make full satisfaction for the sin of mankind. And so in this sense, he is that one unique mediator between God and man. Nonetheless, as we have seen, as we can see, Mary played a unique role in the redemption inasmuch as she freely provided the divine person of our Redeemer with the human nature that he would need to be able to suffer and make satisfaction for our sins. But there is more to Mary's role in the Incarnation. Mary was only able to cooperate in the work of the Incarnation freely because she did so with full, or at least adequate, and sufficient knowledge. When she said yes to the Incarnation, she knew what she was saying yes to. Her freedom from original sin gave her a special gift, and that is a freedom from the wounds of original sin. One of the wounds of original sin is called the darkness of the intellect. And this we suffer from, all of us, from our birth. Our minds have a hard time seeing and thinking about God and seeing clearly and reasoning about transcendent metaphysical things. Mary was not afflicted by this wound, by this darkness of intellect. Therefore, she had an extremely razor-sharp mind, a penetrating intellect, and power to understand the mysteries of God. Moreover, because of her holiness, she was filled with the gifts of the Holy Spirit in a preeminent manner. She was full of wisdom, she was full of understanding and knowledge. And so, in consequence, Mary had a deeper and more profound knowledge of the Bible than any saint who has ever lived. 
And she read all the Old Testament prophecies that we've been hearing over the past few weeks of Advent. And she understood what they meant. In particular, she understood from the Psalms and from Isaiah that the Messiah that would be born into the world would be a suffering Messiah. A suffering Messiah. In her profound humility, she didn't suspect that she actually would be herself the mother of the Messiah, but she understood that the Messiah would have to suffer for the sins of mankind. So when Gabriel revealed to her that she was the chosen one, that she would be the mother of the Messiah, she understood everything that this entails. When she gave her fiat to the Incarnation, she gave her fiat to the work of redemptive suffering that Christ would perform on Mount Calvary at the cross. And throughout the course of her entire life, as the prophecies about Christ became definite events in her lived experience, she never withdrew that original fiat. She said yes, no matter how tough it got. She said yes to the arduous journey she and Joseph had to make to Bethlehem. She said yes when there was no room in the inn, and her and Joseph had to make do and take refuge in a cold stable where she gave birth to her son. She said yes when she and Joseph had to flee from Herod, who was searching for her son to kill him. She said yes as she and Joseph and her newborn son had to escape into Egypt and live there for years as immigrants. She said yes to the obscurity and poverty of her son's hidden life in Nazareth. And knowing full well the hardships that awaited him, she said yes when her son left home to begin his public ministry. She said yes when her son's disciples abandoned him and he was arrested and treated as a criminal and then put on trial and condemned as a blasphemer. She said yes when he was whipped until the blood flowed and his torn flesh hung from his bones. She said yes when he, made, when he was made to carry his cross to Calvary and was nailed to it and hung there for hours only to die before her very eyes. And we must remember, because of her preeminent purity, Mary loved her son more than any human being could possibly love him. And when she lived through his passion, she therefore suffered more than anyone could suffer. She had a more intense compassion for the passion of her son than anyone could ever have. And even as Eve, our mother, stood by the side of Adam under the shadow of the wood of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and cooperated with him in our downfall, so Mary, the new Eve, stood by the side of the second Adam under the shadow of the wood of the cross. And in her compassionate suffering, 
she cooperated with him in the final work of the redemption. The yes she gave at the incarnation had been a yes to the passion, and even as the passion unfolded in horrid detail in her lived experience, she never withdrew that original yes. And so it is a pious tradition for us as Catholics to call our Mother Mary co-redemptrix alongside Christ, our only Redeemer. This title for Mary is fitting inasmuch as she played a unique role in the redemption of mankind by saying yes to the Incarnation and yes to all that followed in its train. And so let us venerate the Mother of God and hold her in a unique place in our hearts. Let us imitate her in, the, in her perfect conformity to God's will. And let us invoke her in our times of need and ask her to obtain for us the graces we need to live Christian lives. And in doing this, we can be sure to be prepared for the advent of her Son this Christmas Day.